You're listening to an adult Sunday school class at Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. All right, so we are uh, coming back to our series on human sexuality. Uh, thank you to a couple, a couple of guys who came out and helped us put those out this week. Uh, it was a huge help. Um, so we look forward to that in worship. We're going back to our series on human sexuality, and I've already, you know, used my first 10 minutes here. Um, for uh, part four, we're working through the PCA study report on human sexuality. This report uh, came out in 2021. It's just a couple years ago. Um, it was really written to be reported on in 2020 during COVID, but it was delayed a year. So it's really three years old. Um, and the primary focus of this report was thinking through how do we how do we um, talk about biblically and think through biblically desires um, for uh, sexual desires that are disordered, sexual desires for people of the same sex. How do we talk about that? Is that wrong? Is that uh, okay? Is that morally permissible? Is that sinful? And we've done a lot of the work already to come to the conclusion, well, no, it's, it's, a, it's a, uh, a result of the fall. We are corrupted in our desires, and these disordered desires sexual desires for people of the same sex is sinful in and of itself. And so we've been walking through that, and we're um, walking through a few more pieces of that today. Um, the, the, the report really is talking about a number of things, but this was the laser focus, uh, the, the, the center of the circle, why the report was, was done in the first place for us to help, uh, to help us think about sexuality and sexual, particularly these desires. Um, so we talked about marriage and gender. We're going to come back to those. These are even more pressing today than they were three years ago. So we're going to circle back to those starting next week or a few weeks' time, uh, next time I teach on this. Uh, marriage and gender, um, original sin, sinful desires, which arise out of our original sin, the corruption of our nature. Uh, we talked about last time temptation. Uh, what is temptation? The nature of temptation, internal versus external temptation, um, lust, um, and sanctification. And today, we're going to circle back to one we briefly hit on, uh, statement number nine, um, identity, and then we're going to go through 10, 11, and 12. I'm not sure how much we'll finish all of this, but I think the beginning part is more important, and so we'll, we'll see how far we get. Um, so th- this is a, an important report and a good report, and I hope you found it edifying, but these 12 statements we've been walking through word for word uh, is just a small portion of it. Has anybody else... Other than our our our, uh, our star student over here, has anybody else read the entire report yet? All right, we got one. I need to write you a certificate. All right, I need to get you a certificate too. Good, um, well done. So um, I, I commend the entire report. It's only 50, 60 pages or so. It's not that hard. It's not hard to read. It's not terribly technical and difficult. But I encourage you to um, to read this and um, to to steep in this. So we're walking through these kind of summary statements today. Um, all right, we're going to statement nine. You have it on your handout. Any comments before we before we launch into this? All right, very good. So here we come to statement nine. 
And we hit on this very briefly last week, um, and uh, we won't go as in-depth as I'd like to for the sake of time, um, but we'll read it through nonetheless. We affirm that the believer's most important identity is found in Christ. Now, this is interesting language. What does identity mean? And we're talking about what does it mean to be me? What does it mean that I'm a person? How do I describe myself? What is true, ultimately, most fundamentally about me? It's my identity. We're saying the most important identity a Christian has is in Christ. You're a Christian. You belong to him. You're united to him. Christians ought to understand themselves, define themselves, and describe themselves in light of their union with Christ and their identity as regenerate, justified, holy children of God. And it's citing places there where we have Paul talking about this reality that you are purified. You are holy. That's how Paul addresses the churches, he, you know, the church in Corinth. It was a mess. But he says, you are saints. To the saints in Corinth, I'm writing this, this letter. You are saints. You are holy before God. You have been set apart. You have been justified. You've been washed. You are pure. And so you fundamentally, and he goes on to talk about some crazy sin in that church. He says, fundamentally, you are Justified. You are holy. You are a saint, Paul calls them. So fundamentally, we describe ourselves as saints. We belong to Christ. We are united to him. We are forgiven. We are purified. We are cleansed. To continue on, to juxtapose identities rooted in sinful desire alongside the term Christian is inconsistent with biblical language and undermines the spiritual reality that we are new creations in Christ. So we don't say... I'm a thieving Christian. Um, we don't describe ourselves fundamentally by this sin. We're going to get to this nevertheless in a moment to help us tease this out. But we are saints. We are holy Christians. We are purified Christians. That's how we describe ourselves. That's how we should think of ourselves. That is the most true thing about us. That's our identity. Nevertheless, being honest about our sin struggles is important. While Christians should not identify with their sin so as to embrace it or seek it, seek to base their identity on it, Christians ought to acknowledge their sin in an effort to overcome it. So absolutely, somebody's a kleptomaniac. They own, okay, I'm a Christian who deals with the problem of being a thief. You identify, you have to name your sin. You say it so that you repent of it and you turn from it. If you're not acknowledging your sin, you're not repenting of it. So here we're saying we acknowledge our sins, we say our sins, we name our sins, as it's going to say in a moment, as we highlighted last week, but we are not named by our sins. Our identity is not in our sin. Our identity is in Christ. But naming our sin is important. So this isn't a call to bury your head in the sand and pretend like there's no sin and pretend like everything's okay. It's saying, no, fundamentally I'm in Christ, but the sin is also something to be honest about. There's a difference between a difference between speaking about a phenomenological facet of a person's sin-stained reality and employing the language of sinful desire as a personal identity marker. So he's saying there's, there's one thing to say something that is phenomenologically true. This is something that is true. This person X deals with this sin. That is true. But it's different to say this person X is a... This, uh, this is this sin. This person is defined by their sin. Um, I think a good example is um, alcoholism, right? Um, and we can talk about a Christian who struggles with alcoholism, a Christian who deals with um, 
it deals with, with being drunk. But question is, are they an alcoholic Christian? Right? Do we say you are an alcoholic? Okay, maybe in some, we're going to get to this in a moment. How do we talk about it? But you're not an alcoholic Christian. You're a Christian who struggles with alcoholism. Right? So you see the difference there, and that language is important. And as we've been, as we've been speaking of uh, previously to this week, that language is important. Because fundamentally, what is true is you are a new creation in Christ. So there's a difference between the phenomenological, speaking of something as a phenomenological facet and of your uh, sin-stained reality and employing language of sinful desire as a personal identity marker. That is, and this is the statement I highlighted last week that I love, we name our sins, but we are not named by them. We name our sins, but we are not named by them. Sin doesn't have the last word over who we are. It doesn't tell us who we are. We name them and say, yes, this is a struggle, but the sin is not identifying who I am. I am in Christ. I belong to him, purchased by his blood. Every sin of mine is forgiven. We, do, we name our sins, but we are not named by them. Moreover, we recognize that there are some secondary identities when not rooted in sinful desires or struggles against the flesh that can be legitimately affirmed along with our primary identity as Christians. We'll look at some examples here. For example, the distinction between male and female or between various nationalities and people groups are not eradicated in becoming Christians, but serve to magnify the glory of God and his plan of salvation. So what it's saying here is that there are legitimate ways to think about uh, my identity secondarily. I'm a male. I'm a male who is a Christian. Um, I am an American. I am white. Some of these things are true about me that say something about me that's true, and that's not bad. These things can be good. Now, they're not my primary identity. They're not primarily telling me who I am. That's in Christ. But it's okay to speak of these other identities. Your mother, your father, your son, your daughter. You're an employer, your employee. We talk about these things, and particularly in relation to other people. And that's okay. White and black, you know, whatever, Hispanic and Asian and whatever you are, these are okay things to think about and categories to use, but they're not primary. And because these are, are morally neutral, right? It, saying I'm white has nothing to say about morality. It's just a facet of who I am. Um, and so it's okay to use those categories, but not in a primary way, in a secondary way. So by, by what they're guarding against here by making the statement is trying to wash out every difference, say, these don't matter. Um, my, my sex doesn't matter. Um, that's, that's not true. And so they're trying to affirm that, yes, being male, female matters. Uh, your nationality matters. These things have something to say about us, but they don't have the final word. It's Christ who has that final word. All right, identity. Um, we'll pause there. So I think the major point you just made is they don't, but um, they don't identify homosexuality as a sin. That's right. I mean, I identify as a woman. That's, it's not a sin to be a woman. That's right. <laughs> but that's, that's the key. Right? That's exactly right. So we don't allow those sinful realities to define us, even be a secondary identity. We don't say, I am a, right, we'll talk about the particular language in a moment, but we don't believe it's healthy and best to say, I'm a gay Christian, to use that language, gay Christian, because that's now speaking of something that's disordered, that's not natural, that's not good, that's not right, to now describe me, even in a secondary way, even if we're not saying that's primarily who I am, we're using it in a secondary way, talking about now sin defining a person, even in a secondary way. The rationale for that saying it's not a sin when it's listed. 
specifically? Right, so, so the question is, uh, why would some say being gay is not a sin, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. That goes back to what we were talking about earlier with uh, several times ago about desires. And they'll say it's more the desire for people with the same sex is morally neutral. That's okay. Um, as long as I don't act upon it. So that's the distinction. They'll say there's desires here. And in fact, some people say you need to celebrate it. And it's a good thing. Now you can't act upon it, but you need to celebrate that and, and you can bring something, contribute something um, to the world and to the church with that desire that you have. Um, so that's really where it gets down to it. Is that desire at the root of it um, uh, sinful or not? But why is that sin being glamorized? Mm -hmm. There are churches that you drive by and there would be a gay pride banner. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so there's, there's two categories here um, it, that have developed over the last decade or so. And some people, uh, so, so it's called side A and side B. How many of y'all are familiar with this term? Side A, side B, sexuality, okay. Um, so side A, sexuality, is saying um, being gay, acting gay, you know, same-sex relations, that is all good and wonderful and we need to affirm that. So this is the mainline church where they've gone, they've thrown out scripture basically altogether. And so they are fully embracing um, homosexuality in every way. So that's side A. Um, so that's side A, gay Christianity. Now we come over to side B, and side B says, no, we don't act on it. We, we, they want to hold the Bible, and that's good. They say, we don't act on it, but gay Christianity is good. That's a good thing, as long as it's not being acted upon. The desires are right. The desires are, are fine. They can be celebrated, but we don't act. So they're trying to preserve what scriptural, scripture commands about um, homosexuality and, and the activity, but they're, they're saying internally the desires are okay, um, but we just can't act on it. So that's side A, where everything is good. Side B says acting isn't good, but internal desire is fine. Yeah, Ernie. I didn't realize they were saying that the desires were good. Why would they say that? I think it's a very disordered. Right. So, so painting with a little bit of a broad brush stroke here, because side B has a lot of different positions within it. Some are there will we'll nuance that a little bit differently. Some would say it's neutral. Some would say it's good. Some would say it's not preferable, and so you need to try to get away from it, but you probably won't, so identify with it. It's okay. Um, yeah, I, because I, I think they just have a wrong view of desires and original sin that allows them to say these desires are okay. And, and they would even say there's no desire. I may be putting, putting words in their mouth. There's no desire that is sinful until you go to that point of acting on it. Exactly, right. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. That's right. That's right. And I, yeah, completely agree. I have a number of people that I'm staying with that are, that, that, through, some, through some family members that identify as side B, mm -hmm. and it, a lot of it seems to really go into the cultural thing of this age, which is, my desires are good, the purpose of life is to look inside myself and find right. where my desires are, and once I find those, then I know how I can find meaning and happiness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so... That's the, that's, the, that's the thing, we're trying to, we're trying to preserve that idea that I even find my meaning and happiness by looking inside of my own mm -hmm. I desires, and then they see these desires, like, well, if I throw them out, I'm killing myself. Right, them, right. I'm denying myself, yeah, and my own personhood. And yeah. so it's, 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 that's the root of the idea mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that is really bringing about, bringing about this, and they call it side acts, the traditional position. 
position. Okay. They just discard. Yeah, yeah. Traditional position of, well, it's just all it's just mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. Yeah, Ward? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Can you can you repeat that a little bit louder? I don't want to misstate it. That's right. They're, they're, we don't understand the struggle of denying themselves that they experience, that using this adjective is actually um, um, highlighting their sacrifice and highlighting their unique contribution, what they can teach us about sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom. So, yeah, that, that's a good point. But then are they creating a hierarchy of sin? They're creating a hierarchy of sin. I, I think in a sense they are, yes. Yes, and a hierarchy even of spirituality, and and actually the gay Christian is on a higher level of spirituality than 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 those who are not, and and we could get into dissecting a lot of this and seeing um, a lot of issues of intersectionality and these kinds of ideas that are actually driving some of this, and I think it's really um, being uh, it's being um, uh, influenced by the world more than they realize that. Alex. Um, it's some, some would, some wouldn't. I, I would say what, what this report has done a good job of, I haven't heard most of these arguments, if any, in the PCA since this report came out. So this report did a phenomenal job of getting to the root in the issue and naming these issues. And so uh, it's, it's done a phenomenal job. And so it's done a great job of helping us remember, okay, yes, this is original sin. This is what's going on. And this is why we can't go down this path. Whereas a lot of people are saying, oh yeah, have compassion. Yes, and we want to care for these people. And, and that's all true, absolutely. But they threw out their theology. And this was reminding us, okay, what is our theology? What does scripture say? And let's, let's, let's act according to that. Yep, Ryan. I just wanted to say, I really appreciate Christians are often viewed as negative mm-hmm. on identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I appreciate how this report is um, bringing up what we can celebrate and affirm about a person's identity. Yeah, and that is, yeah. That is Christ. Um, That's right. So rather than thinking about the negative, we're against all of these right. things. We're, right. we're against sin with God, but we're celebrating a person for who they are. That's right. Christ. That's right. Exactly. Well said. I appreciate you bringing that point up. Rob, were you going to say something? Right. You know, this right. is a total put on. This is like saying there's those things that atheists, you know, it's kind of the sexuality version of it. Where's the PCA on this idea of no, there is a such thing as being born gay. It's not something that's going to be cured. Uh, marriage is available to these folks mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. you know one member of the opposite sex. Maybe I don't know different for them. I mean, where's the right. PCA on that? It's like a root question. Yeah, so, so the question of, is, is there a gay gene or is there, you know, genetically, are you predisposed to it, all that kind of stuff. I think the, the PCA would say, and, and there's no way, 
That's hard to say. I would say most most uh, elders in the PCA would would say that that probably doesn't matter at the end of the day because we I mean we know scientifically um, alcoholism right there are genetic predispositions people have to alcoholism that doesn't excuse it um, but it helps us be compassionate towards people. Now I think scientifically the, the question is still out um, on on homosexuality and genetically and all that. I I, I don't believe that's resolved. I could be wrong. Um, but either way, whether there's a, a gene that, that says, you know, predisposes somebody to have this, this, this tendency or not, I'm not sure it matters because ultimately it's a distortion due to the corruption of original sin. Um, whether it's distorting our genes or distorting our desires or whatever it is, um, it's still a distortion of the created order and what we're meant to be. And so I guess most, I, I would say at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether we say people are born this way or they choose this way. It doesn't matter um, because ultimately whatever the desire is that's arising out of them is a result of our corrupt nature. In the same way, we all have things arising out of us as part of our corrupt nature. Whether it's pride, you know, uh, there's a lot of Christians who are working hard every day to uh, kill their pride. Um, and they're, they're denying themselves by killing their pride. And we don't talk about that very often. And you know what? Praise God that Christians are seeking to kill that sin of pride. And every sin, right? We're all doing this every day. Uh, so, yeah. Or, yeah, Political yeah, right. 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 It is. So I want to spend at least one one week on talking about the social realities of this. Um, so let's let's pause some of that. But you're right; like this is a, very different socially than all these other issues. Yeah. Just a comment about alcoholics, regardless of where it comes from. There's no gene that forces you to bend your elbow to your mouth. That's right. That's right. And yet, d- despite whatever genetics are involved, there's no gene that makes your elbow go to your mouth. Just repeating. What Jim said there. Yeah, Jonathan. One other comment to, to try to be as charitable as possible to society's position. I think one of the ways in which they would say that the desire is good, um, probably like someone like um, Greg Johnson, who was formerly in the DC, probably wouldn't say that the desire is inherently good. That's right. But I think, like, in this assumption of representation, which is very popular in our culture, that if my pastor struggles with the same sin that I do, that he is in a better position to minister to me. Mm-hmm. So I think he mm-hmm. saw himself as being in a position to minister to this particular group of people right. um, or communities. Mm-hmm. And I think that his intention there was was good. But, but right. I don't think it really matters like whether my pastor struggles with all the specific things that I do right. in terms of how right. minister to mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very good. Ruth Ann, and then we're going to move on after this one. Yeah, that's that's well said. I heard somebody say that also recently, that um, heresies really derive from a desire to do evangelism. It's a great desire, but then we put we 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 allow these other forces to then drive how we're doing evangelism. And so I think that's a great a great point. We need to be careful what we're doing evangelism according to the word. All right, last last one before we move on. Society, we kind of undervalued that 
mm-hmm. not intentional to affirm positive sexuality. Like that's baked in. Like this mm-hmm. sexuality is a big part of the creation of man. Mm-hmm. Man and woman were created for what? Mm-hmm. Sexuality. Mm-hmm. That's why there's two sexes, right? And if we try to get away from that and kind of whitewash sexuality in general, like have a positive version, the world's going to come in and that innate essence is so strong and perverted into, into something different. So I think it is not God didn't make into us the entire alcohol that he did for dopamine, you know, mm-hmm. and and alcohol the way he did dopamine. But he did make in sexuality, and this is a noble diet in that sense, right? Because this gets back to creation. That's right. Why we are here now. Mm-hmm. That's right. Good. Yeah, very good. Let's look at statement 10, um, language. And so the question here is, in light of what we just said about identity, how do we treat the term gay Christian, that phrase? How, how do we think about that? Um, and what is it getting at? What are they trying to denote by using that language? And, and one, one other comment before we talk about this. It's really easy um, to think about this as an out there issue, right? And to say, okay, people out there who struggle with same-sex attraction, I want us all to be careful and to think about the fact that there are people in our church who struggle with same-sex attraction. Um, and so this is not an out-there problem. This is um, a, a reality that, that people in our midst struggle with this, and we want to encourage them. And so this isn't like these people are so terrible, bad, and evil, but we're trying to be faithful and biblical in the way we talk about it. Um, and so language is really is, is helping us get at that. Um, and so we need to think about these are people who are using this term. This isn't just a theory and an idea out there. So... Uh, we affirm that those in our churches would be wise to avoid the term gay Christian. So right out the get, right out of the bat, it is unwise to use the term gay Christian. Although the term gay may refer to more than being attracted to persons of the same sex, the term does not communicate less than that. So the term is saying at the very bare bones, I'm attracted to the persons of the same sex. It probably means a whole lot more, and in most cultural settings, it means a lot more, but it doesn't mean less than that. So let's start with there, the the least least amount of meaning there. For many people in our culture to self-identify as gay suggests that one is engaged in homosexual practice. Um, That's what the word means. When somebody says, out in the world, I'm gay, this is what they mean. They are engaged in same-sex homosexual practice. At the very least, the term normally communicates the presence and approval of same-sex sexual attraction as morally neutral or morally praiseworthy. So again, we're going back to the, to the uh, at the very least here, what this word is at least showing us, and it's showing us the presence and approval of same-sex sexual attraction as morally neutral or morally praiseworthy. Even if gay for some Christians simply means same-sex attraction, it is still inappropriate to juxtapose this sinful desire or any other sinful desire as an identity marker alongside our identity as new creations in Christ. So a lot of Christians will say, and again, I heard this in the PCA a lot more before 2020, um, before this report came out. Um, They say, I use the term gay Christian to denote I struggle with same-sex attraction. Um, But what uh, so I think that's, that's laudable that they're defining it in a way that's pretty good. Um, but what, what this report is saying is even if we're doing that, we're still using it as a primary identity marker to talk about myself. That person is using that as an identity marker to say, hey, your primary identity is now your sexuality alongside of Christ. We're saying that's not helpful, but it's actually even more harmful because when people hear you say gay Christian, they hear you say something very different than what you mean. 
And so we need to be careful that we're not misrepresenting um, who we are by using that term and knowing that other people are going to be importing other meanings into it. Nevertheless, we recognize that some Christians may use the term gay in an effort to be more readily understood by non-Christians. This goes to Jonathan's point earlier. People will say, I'm going to use the word gay Christian so that it's kind of a passport into a gay, the gay community, um, the secular gay community, so that then I can go befriend them and evangelize them. So many Christians have done this, and it's, again, a laudable desire. The word gay is common in our culture, and we do not think it wise for churches to police every use of the term. Okay, so if a member of the church is saying that, we're not going to come down, you know, uh, this report is telling us we shouldn't come down day one, church discipline, anything like that. We're not here to police terms. We're not here to, to say what you can and can't say. But our burden is that we do not justify our sin struggles by fixing uh, them to our identity as Christians. So part of this is, is teaching. And what we're doing here today is saying, okay, if you think gay Christian is, is helpful to use, hear these other arguments. It's confusing to the world. The world isn't hearing what you're saying when you use that phrase. Um, think about all that it denotes. And are you really saying those things about yourself? It's not helpful. And then when we get back to the identity language, you're now making this issue a primary identity marker. And it should ought not be. Your primary identity marker ought to be you are united to Christ. Um, churches should be gentle, patient, and intentional with believers who call themselves gay Christians, encouraging them as part of the process of sanctification to leave behind identification language rooted in sinful desires, to live chaste lives, to refrain from entering into temptation, and to mortify their sinful desires. So I think they're here encouraging um, pastoral patience and walking alongside of, of our brothers and sisters. And I think this is exactly right. Um, so this is speaking of, of all of us, every church member, every person who belongs to the church. I will say, flip over to the back really quickly. Uh, the, there's a little paragraph at the bottom. Um, our book of church order is in the process of being amended. And it was approved by presbyteries last year, or by, by General Assembly last year. It's going to presbyteries right now all across the country. If two-thirds of them approve, it'll go back to General Assembly next year, and we'll be inserted into our book of church order. And here's the language that's being inserted under the, the paragraph of elders in the church, and there's exact same language that's being inserted under the paragraph for deacon. Um, and you can see this in the paragraph. An elder should conform to the biblical requirements of chastity and sexual purity in his descriptions of himself and in his convictions, character, and conduct. This is a result of several years of wordsmithing and amendments failing um, that were not as well-worded as this is. And I love this because it says an elder should conform to the biblical requirements of chastity and sexual purity in his descriptions of himself. So what this is actually saying is officers in the PCA, elders and then the, the uh, uh, similar statement for deacons, this is saying officers in the church cannot use the term for gay Christian. This is not something we're allowing our officers to do. Um, you cannot describe yourself in this way because you're describing yourself um, without, uh, without regard to chastity and sexual purity. Um, and then your convictions, character, and conduct must also be in alignment with chastity and sexual purity. So there's a distinction here that's very important to be made. Right? Officers, we require a particular level of maturity, a particular level of understanding, and depth. And so officers must 
are, are held to this standard, a, a, high, a higher standard, in order to be officers. Now, every member of the church, we're all working towards maturity. It's not like officers at some magical level of any kind. It's actually not an unattainable level for every member of the church, male, woman, uh, male, male or female, right? This is a level of maturity that we all are aiming for. But the reality is we recognize there's a lot of members of our churches who are not at that level of maturity. So we want to be patient and we want to walk with them. If an officer started using the language gay Christian, there would be more that would be done there. If a, a church, a regular church member started using the, the, the moniker gay Christian, um, that's a different animal altogether. So I do want to highlight, we, we want to think about this differently for every church member compared to our officers. And we recognize that there is a higher standard of maturity there. Um, oh, all right. Questions? <laughs> yes. So um, just to clarify yeah. this, yes. That desire, sinful desire, is bad. It's sinful. That's right. Any desire for something that is against um, how God has designed us mm-hmm. is sinful, mm-hmm. and carrying it out is also sinful. That's right. So then both side A and side B are being unbiblical. That's right. Yes. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. So the question is, are so to clarify, make sure we're all on the same page. Side A and side B are are both in error? And the answer is yes. They both are in error. Side A more so than side B, but side B also because they're not identifying the very root of our sin, which is the heart and desires. Um, and so that's where side X, I've never heard that before. Um, but that's, no, that's that's the historic Christian position on even our desires. Um, we need to make them captive to Christ and um, conform them to the image of Christ. Yeah, very good. Thank you. Thank you for that clarity. That's a great question. So the question is, non-PCA side B folks, um, what's been the reaction to the statement? Honestly, I don't know. I've not heard many people talking about it outside the PCA world. So I don't know if it's not on their radar or if they have their objections that they're not saying or that they're saying and I haven't heard. I'm not sure. That's a great question that I need to, I should try to read up on that. Yeah. Yeah. So why why are we saying uh, gay and not homosexuality, right? Um, and the and the reason is because that's what people have been using. They've been describing themselves as gay Christians, not as homosexual Christians. That's not the word people have been using. So we're just identifying the language that people have used um, in the last decade or so. Two things. Mm-hmm. But what we've done is we've taken away the meaning of gay. Side B or side A. 
Right, so uh, just to repeat, um, the, first, the first question or first comment was, um, the downside to this, you know, using this language is that now the word gay has been co-opted and we can't use it even in the traditional sense of being happy, right? So that's, it's gone and that's true. That's the reality, um, unfortunately. And then the rainbow has been, been co-opted as this, this is a sign of the covenant that God made with all creation that he's withholding judgment. And you know what? By using that, they're flaunting God's justice. And I think by using that is actually there's going to be greater condemnation um, because it's actually identifying. God is saying, I'm being, I'm forbear, I, I'm, I'm, I'm being patient with the world and its sin, waiting for the final day of judgment. Um, and people are flaunting that and saying, yeah, you are. We're going to do what we want. And that's a, that's a scary, sad thing. Um, but the rainbow is a wonderful thing. We've got a great rainbow painted down in our uh, nursery, uh, nursery room. We're going to finish up the animals down there. Thank you, I believe. Is that going to happen? We speak, yeah, Hannah, thanks, Hannah Bradshaw, for finishing up the rest of that mural down there. Um, so it's beautiful, and we love rainbows. And we're going to use rainbows because it's a very biblical, godly image. Um, and so and the, the follow-up question was with regard to a gay Christian who's using that term to evangelize. When they evangelize, are they evangelizing rightly or are they now using their side A or side B kind of lens to come into that? Is that what you're saying? And yeah, that's, that's, that's right. Uh, we don't know exactly. Yes, they can actually be preaching the gospel in a right way, in a wonderful way. And they could be off on side B. Um, side A, I'm not sure I could. That's another question. But they could be um, mistaken, they could be an error, um, but we want to say that. That's why we want to even start before that and say, "Hey, let's not even use the term." But yeah, let's evangelize. Let's make friends with these people. Um, yeah, go over to their house and they invite you for dinner. Um, that's wonderful. We're not shunning them. We care about them the way we care about everybody in the world. Um, and so we want to evangelize. We just want to say, "Hey, let's not use um, worldly methods to do that. Let's not think we have to use the word gay in order to proclaim the truth." Um, May not be getting to what you're what you're getting at, but uh, I'm going to wrap up here. And we got through half of this, so we'll reassess. Uh, I'll be back in a few more weeks and reassess if we're going to come back to this or we're just going to move back to um, really underpinnings of creation, sexuality, gender, these ideas um, that are that are so prominent today. Um, so let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that you are merciful to us in our sin, and that none of us um, are free from sin even this day. But we thank you that in Christ we have mercy and forgiveness of our sins. We pray that you would enable us to be faithful, um, that you would not allow us to be named by our sin, but be named by Christ. And in so doing, that we would be faithful to name our sins, to identify them, and to repent of them, and turn to you, our Savior and our King. And as we come into your presence to worship you, may we do so with thanksgiving, come into your courts with praise to enjoy the rest you have provided for us now and for eternity. We thank you for Christ and all that he has accomplished. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.com.